Welcome to the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We offer a doctoral program and seven master degree programs, including two online MAs and 18 certificates of graduate study. If you are interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. And to support the work of IWP, please visit iwp.edu slash donate. This lecture is part of the 12th annual Koshkoshko Chair Spring Symposium in honor of Lady Blanca Rosenthal. We'll be hearing from Dr. Lucia Cannon, who will discuss war in Ukraine, geopolitical implications for Europe and the United States. Dr. Lucia Switzkowski Cannon is a strategist, expert, and author on Eastern Europe, Russia, and US East European relations. She has a BA master's of philosophy and a PhD in international relations in Russia slash East European studies from Columbia University. Please welcome Dr. Cannon. On 24th of February, Russia invaded Ukraine from the north, south, and the east from Russia. On the morning of the invasion, Russian President Vladimir Putin issued a declaration of war. He called it a special military operation. He talked about World War II, the solution of the Soviet Union. He talked about the influence of the Western powers. And he talked about the rights to independence of our own historical territories. And he was talking about Ukraine. So Putin started with World War II and the great sacrifices that the Soviet people made to win the, fact, uh, the fight against Nazism. And this victory was consolidated in favorable diplomatic settlement, the Yalta agreements. This settlement to Putin is still sacred and valid. Then he talked about the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991. And he said that he respects the independence of countries that were created at the time in the post-Soviet space. And he gave the example of Kazakhstan. And he said that recently Kazakhstan was challenged in its integrity uh, by hostile forces and it turned to Russia for assistance. But when Ukraine was in a similar situation in 2014, Ukraine did not turn to Russia, but it turned to the West. So Putin considers it a coup d'etat and claims that Ukraine is under control of neo-Nazis and hostile Western powers. He calls Ukraine our own historical territories, but now Ukraine is anti-Russia under complete external control of NATO. That, uh, that is why Putin explains, those who consider themselves to be winners of the Cold War are questioning the results of World War II. After the Soviet collapse, the redivision of the world actually began. Thus, the West is questioning the fairness of the Yalta agreement of the World War II, and that is unacceptable to Russia. The next issue is the status of Crimea. For Putin, Crimeans and Sevastopol residents exercise their free choice reunification with Russia. For Ukraine, 
it is an annexation. It is a violation of its internationally recognized border and it is not accepted. Ukraine is also fearing further Russian incursions into its territory. So Putin says Russia's clash with these forces is inevitable. It is a matter of life and death, a matter of our historical future as a people. It is a threat not only to our interests, but to our very existence as a state. So Putin wants to protect Russia and his actions are aimed at those, those who took Ukraine hostage and are trying to use it against our country, Russia. In Putin's eyes, it is the West that took Ukraine hostage. It is the West that threatens Russia. Russia is challenging the post-Cold War international order and wants to return to a favorable Yalta order. So Russia is forcibly changing the international status quo that existed since 1991. In the view of the United States and its NATO allies and other allies such as Japan, South Korea and Australia, Russian invasion of Ukraine has a character of an imperial power invading its smaller neighbor. Therefore, this collective West decided to support the defense of Ukraine with military and economic aid and to impose economic sanctions. But NATO also feels threatened by Putin's aggressiveness. The West's arrangements in Europe are being challenged by Putin's demand to return to Yalta. While Putin destroyed the old order, the new order is being created right now. And it is created on the basis of uh, new alliances that are being formed in response to the invasion of Ukraine. And it will also be formed on the basis of the outcome of the war. So of course, if the war, uh, if Ukraine is defeated in the war, that would bring Russia to the borders of NATO countries all over Europe. Uh, if uh, there is a ceasefire, but it is very unfavorable to Ukraine, uh, that will also be sort of an invitation to further aggression. But the most important uh, response of the West to the Russian invasion of Ukraine is its unprecedented unity. Despite numerous differences in political and economic interests, all Western countries, including Japan, Australia, and South Korea, declared full support for NATO and opposition to Russia's actions. The West is participating in this war indirectly by assistance to Ukraine, provision of military and economic aid, humanitarian aid and welcoming policy to Ukrainian refugees, and through economic sanctions against the Russian government and elite in order to incur significant costs and uh, deprive, deprive Russia of assets to pursue this war. So the most dramatic change in policy occurred in Germany, the largest country in Europe. German policy towards Russia started in the 1970s with Ostpolitik, but it only developed into a comprehensive wide-ranging policy after the German reunification. A unified Germany, an economic powerhouse, despite its continuing dependence on NATO for its security, decided to emancipate itself from the United States. This German emancipation policy started under leadership of Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, 
but reached its full development with Chancellor Angela Merkel. While the United States was experiencing its unipolar moment, the German ambition was to become an undisputed leader of Europe and a civilian and economic powerhouse. This policy was two-pronged. In Europe, Germany supported multilateralism. It penetrated European Union institutions and started to use them to pursue its own political and economic interests. Once it dominated the European Union, it instituted a policy of centralizing its authority over member countries through legal, regulatory, and financial means. Germany became an arbiter of European countries' domestic political and economic policies. In foreign policy, Germany supported multipolarity, not US dominance. This led to de facto alliance with Russia and China, which were also demanding multipolarity in world affairs. Germany established strategic partnerships with Russia and China based on trade, energy, and economic and technological cooperation and investment. Germany exchanged its traditional industrial prowess to Russian natural resources and Chinese cheap manufacturing capabilities. Recent examples of these policies are Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which basically cut out East European transit countries from uh, trade in energy and especially natural gas. And uh, it, it would make Germany the primary distributor of Russian natural gas in Europe, therefore further consolidating its dominance. Another recent action was the signing of the EU investment treaty with China in December 2020, in the last day of the German presidency of the European Union. And this occurred just before newly elected President Joe Biden assumed his office in the United States. Uh, Germany was in a terrible hurry to sign this agreement because it was mainly benefiting Germany. In security policy, Germany stood apart from NATO by claiming that the security of Europe could only be built with Russia and not against Russia. It claimed that security policy should be based on dialogue, diplomacy, and conflict resolution. Germany neglected its armed forces and allowed them to seriously deteriorate, further angering the United States, which was urging NATO countries to fulfill their obligations and spend 2% of their GDP on defense. Germany ostentatiously ignored that. So the Russian invasion of Ukraine completely discredited this German approach to foreign policy. Germany had to repeatedly, uh, rapidly retreat to save its position in the Western alliance. It feared being isolated as it faced political pressure, both from its NATO allies and from its own German public opinion. The outbreak of the war directly contradicted its maxim that European security can only be constructed with Russia. It became obvious that Russia is a threat to NATO and therefore it is necessary to invest in the national and NATO defense. So the German response was, first, the German government announced that it will increase its defense budget of 500 billion euros. So it will become more or less 
2% of the GDP spent on its defense, which is what was agreed to several years ago and which is what is recommended. But it is not in any hurry to really implement it. It will do its law. Second, the German government reversed its policy of denial of military aid to Ukraine. Germany recognized that its historical obligations are not only towards Russia, but also towards Ukraine. Third, Germany joined the United States and other Western countries in imposition of economic sanctions on Russia. These sanctions included, most significantly, the freeze of Russia's foreign currency reserves in the West, restrictions on the use of the SWIFT banking system for select banks, and a ban on new investments in Russia, among others. However, in the most important area of energy, Germany is much more reluctant to participate in sanctions because it is dependent on Russia for energy, both uh, in coal, gas, and oil, everything. It started along this way. It started, first of all, it suspended the certification of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So it will not be put uh, into use uh, at this point and maybe never. And it also began to construct an LNG terminal to import LNG in case it needed to do that. All these policies represent the immediate and near complete reversal of what guided Germany for the past 20 years. But some question whether this reversal is only tactical and it will end as soon as the crisis passes. Especially the SPD party, which is dominant in the German government, seems intent that this policy be temporary. German reluctance to fully implement this new policy to supply arms to Ukraine and to implement limited Western economic sanctions led to questioning of the German commitment to the Western alliance and to the effective assistance to Ukraine. Joseph Joffe, a longtime observer of the German scene, says that from the German point of view, appeasement is a more rational policy and that economic costs of full commitment are too high. So this reluctance to be fully engaged with the West and uh, to assist Ukraine came to a head recently with a lack of invitation of the German president, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, to visit Ukraine in the middle of April. So Polish president Lech Kaczynski inaugurated this strategy of vis visiting a country that, that is being invaded and showing uh, his political support. So he went to Tbilisi when, uh, when Georgia was being invaded by Russia in 2008, and he took with him uh, presidents of three other East European countries. Uh, this month, Jarosław Kaczyński, his brother, sort of repeated the strategy where he went to Kiev with prime ministers of Poland, Czech Republic, and Slovenia. When Kiev was surrounded by German troops and was shelled every day, so they went there to show their support, to sort of inspect the situation on the ground, and also, of course, to have a chance to discuss uh, their policies with the Ukrainian president Zelensky and with the Ukrainian government. That started this fashion that the, the leaders of other countries in Europe also wanted to go to Kiev and to show their support. And one of these leaders was the German president, uh, 
Frank Walter Steinmeier. However, Ukraine President Zelensky did not agree. First of all, President Steinmeier was the key politician at the forefront of conducting foreign policy under Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder and Angela Merkel. And this was a policy of partnership with Putin. And many people in Europe blame Germany and Steinmeier personally that this policy led to rearmament of Russia and it facilitated this invasion of Ukraine. So uh, many people are very unhappy about that. Second of all, uh, Steinmeier's, Steinmeier apologized for this policy. He said it was a mistake, but essentially uh, many people regarded that his apology was not sincere. It was, it was just very casual. He said, oh, it was a mistake and he moved on. And uh, other people felt that that wasn't enough. And the third, and maybe most important, is that Germany is very reluctant to fully commit to a policy of supporting other Western countries, of supporting Ukraine. So there is uh, overall dissatisfaction uh, with uh, Germany's uh, performance, uh, you know, in the last 20 years, maybe in relation to Ukraine and in relation to solidarity within Western alliance. And so it sort of resulted in this, in this uh, snap of Germany in this invitation. And uh, people felt that he shouldn't bask in the glory of the great support of Ukraine when it is not true. So this snap sort of forces Germany to confront its own role in the Western alliance in the future. So first, of course, there is an option of return to the previous traditional relationship, which is a partnership with Russia. And there are important groups in Germany that want to do that. First of all, these are the SPD uh, party politicians, which are dominating the current German government. There is a very important uh, business lobby that does business with Russia. There is a large Russian emigre group that supports Putin. There are German communists who are very active. So this uh, return to traditional policy is definitely kept as an option. Uh, the second possibility is that uh, Russia has been so discredited by this war, by the atrocities that it committed, that it will not be possible to return to business as usual. And some people are suggesting that Germany should uh, establish a strategic uh, partnership like it had with Russia, with China. But again, it is not an entirely attractive uh, option because of course, China is an authoritarian power and uh, the problems that Germany is having uh, with Russia could be the same with China, if, if not worse. And the third possibility is the cooperation with, the, with France. And France does not really, France has uh, its own nuclear forces, which is very important. France does not, uh, share German attitudes. 
with relation to, to NATO and with relation to defense. So for example, France is supporting the largest army in Europe. France is providing military aid to Ukraine. France is not dependent on Russia for energy. So in this way, it does not share any of the German attitudes, but it does share a very important attitude in relation to its role in Europe and in the world. It, is, it wants to be much more independent and much more important than it is right now. And it shares that with Germany. So insofar as East European countries are concerned, of course, they are going all out to assist Ukraine, which is their neighbor, in resisting invasion by imperialistic Russia. One element of this uh, attitude is the fear that uh, if Russia subdues Ukraine, they will be next in its aggressive designs. But therefore, they are treating Western assistance to Ukraine as a test of credibility in NATO. They especially worry about the reluctance of Germany and uh, France and some of the other countries to decisively condemn Russian invasion and to go all out to assist Ukraine, raising fears that these countries would not assist them, the East Europeans, in case of the Russian invasion despite their NATO obligations. So, uh, to strengthen their own security, they are raising their own defense budgets. They are asking Western countries to place NATO reinforcements in their own countries. And they are demanding that previous limitations, such as rotational presence of NATO troops, be scrapped in favor of permanent arrangements. East European countries, except for Hungary, became transit routes to funnel Western armaments to Ukraine. They also donated a lot of their own old Soviet equipment to the Ukrainian army. Poland is the biggest conduit for such military assistance, serving as a bridge between United States, Britain, and Ukraine. All of the neighboring countries are accepting very large numbers of Ukrainian refugees. These are women with children and are regarded as war victims and they are not the young male migrants who are looking for economic opportunities. So uh, they are also accepting Ukrainian war wounded to be treated in their own hospitals. Out of 4.7 million Ukrainians who fled abroad, Poland itself accepted almost 3 million Ukrainian refugees and placed them mostly in private homes. East Europeans also want the weakening of Russia's ability to conduct this war through effective sanctions. Poland in particular became a diplomatic consensus builder for measures that are helpful to Ukraine. It often encountered resistance in European capitals. The impression is that the Western Europe does not really want to fight and it only does sort of the minimum that is necessary. So that raises the issue how in the future to strengthen and consolidate the Eastern flank of NATO so it is able to resist Russian aggression. The obvious answer is to organize something like the coalition of the willing 
those willing to act decisively to resist Russian designs rather than treating Russia as a partner. So the eastern flank of NATO is organized in the Three Seas Initiative, which was designed to strengthen the vertical links between these countries, to develop their eastern border regions with Russia, and to sort of develop a regional solidarity, because so far they had a lot of links going from Russia to Germany, and not that many that, that went vertically through these countries. And it was also designed to try to obtain uh, um, energy independence from Russia. So maybe now a, a military dimension, a military cooperation could be added to these cooperative efforts. However, the Three Seas Initiative consisted only of EU member countries. But under the circumstances, once the war in Ukraine uh, ends, it would have to include Ukraine. And especially that Ukraine is likely to obtain a status of the EU candidate member. Cooperation with a large country like Ukraine would strengthen the Eastern flank in its resistance to Russian pressures. The inclusion of Ukraine would also reconstitute a region called Intermario, which had strong links in the Middle Ages and it has common cultural roots. Uh, this is a much more constructive uh, vision for the region than the vision of the gathering of Russian lands that President Putin is advocating. Uh, of course, on the Western side, the key members of such a coalition would be the United States and Britain, but also other countries uh, from Western Europe could be included. And uh, for example, right now, there is a possibility that Sweden and Finland uh, will join NATO. And of course, they would be natural candidates for such a group. However, such a group would not only have as its aim to resist Russian designs, but also it would be interested in preventing uh, the sort of uh, German-Russian strategic partnership that existed for so many years and that many East Europeans found so threatening. So this is sort of a secondary uh, consideration in these efforts. So one of the significant issues to consider is the effect on the European integration of this division between Eastern and Western Europe in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right now, Germany is the most powerful country in Europe and it is dominating the European Union, which is assuming more and more authority over its member countries arbitrarily, though there is no consent from its members. It is German views and interests that are pervading policies of the EU institutions. Germany uses economic, financial, and regulatory policies to dominate other countries and punish those who resist uh, Continuing European integration is seen as centralization under German domination. In this vein, the European Union slash Germany criticize various East European countries, mainly Poland and Hungary, for their supposed violations of democratic standards and European values. The EU imposed financial fines on Poland and Hungary for violations of its rules and did not provide any funds for millions of refugees that are right now in Eastern Europe. 
in view of the German response to the Russian invasion, this model of European integration is in question. First, has German policies towards Russia are partly blamed for facilitating current aggression against Ukraine. Therefore, German self-image as a moral superpower is in ruins. Second, German reluctance to fully commit to defense of Ukraine is seen in Eastern Europe that it doesn't have its best interests in mind. Germany is not a reliable partner. Third, Germany is denouncing the Hungarian president Orban as dictator while closely cooperating with real dictators like Vladimir Putin and President Xi of China. Fourth, Germany denounces Poland as breaking democratic standards for efforts to remove powerful former communists, while itself working closely with powerful former communists in Germany and Russia. Fifth, Germany imposes leftist standards across Europe and tries to destroy conservative Poland and Hungary in the name of European values. Those European values turn out to be values of partnership with aggressive autocrats, regressing repressing and impoverishing their own domestic societies while engaging in imperialistic ventures abroad. Going forward, German dominance of the European Union is undermined. Adjustments must be made to account for views of other member states. Imposition by a, a all-powerful and accountable bureaucracy of policies dominated by the German government is not effective. So we come now to the position of the United States and how it is being affected by the war. And I would say that the United States is a great winner in this geopolitical confrontation. The United States decisively stepped up to defend the international order which it created and which is favorable to Western values. It also helped a fledgling democratic country like Ukraine against imperialistic aggression. If Ukraine defends its sovereignty, it will uphold this order and European and world stability. Second, in face of Russian aggression, the West consolidated around US military might, which again demonstrated its primacy. Third, the United States demonstrated its incredible dominance of world economy. It imposed unprecedented sanctions against Russia by freezing its foreign reserves and excluding it from conducting foreign transactions. It can do the same to its other enemies. Fourth, the United States is one of the biggest energy producers in the world and is in a position to substantially replace Russian natural gas production. On February 4th, presidents of Russia and China announced their partnership in pursuance of the redistribution of power in the world and the transformation of the global governance architecture and world order. They announced that they intend to destroy the international order created by the United States. So far, the West demonstrated a unity and determination to defend this position. Russia's position in this confrontation is weakened, regardless of the outcome of the war. It damaged its power and prestige due to poor performance of its army and atrocities committed. It also demonstrated to the world the imperialistic 
anti-Western conception of Russian national identity and the practice, what is the practice of gathering of these Russian lands? Ukraine decisively demonstrated that it is not Russian and does not want to be included in the Russian imperial project. Uh, further, Rus Russia's success would embolden China and others to pursue aggression at the expense of the West. Therefore, the successful outcome of this crisis is necessary and we will find out what happens in the future. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank Dr. Cannon and all of you who have joined us today. If you are interested in attending other upcoming events, making a gift to IWP or applying to one of our graduate programs, please visit iwp.edu. Again, that's iwp.edu.